0: Uh, we are in a series that we're calling Keep It Weird, and we kind of started um, the very first week in 1 Peter 1, 16, we talked about scripture that says... Uh, be holy because I am holy. And we said that first week and since then that there's... Sometimes when we read that, there's a sense like it means be massively spiritual and perfect. God says, I am you know massively spiritual and perfect. And of course, God is uh, massively perfect. Uh, but that's not exactly what it means when we're called to be holy. In fact, the, the word holy there is the word hagios in the Greek. And it, it uh, doesn't mean massively perfect and holy. It means something that's set apart from uh, to- typical stuff, from normal stuff. Uh, separated from common conditions and common use, uh, something that's, that's different. And we're saying in this series, something that's weird. In other words, there's a normal way to fit into our world. There's the way most people are, and then there's, there's being holy, and that, that's being weird in our world. And so we've been talking about a lot of stuff we need to do. And we talked about, you know, we kind of get out, we got to get off the broad path. Remember the first week, get off the broad path and get on to the narrow path. And we talked about, you know, we need to be holy and what that is. And we said, uh, we need to have awesome reverence for God. That's like the beginning of so many things in life is to have reverence for God. We said, we need God's word for wisdom and guidance and to know God better. And we talked about asking God for wisdom. And we talked about finding wise friends and putting together a, you know, board of directors for your own life. And we talked about a lot of stuff. We talk about we talk about we need meaningful spiritual relationships with other believers. Uh, you know we need to be in grow groups. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be loving people on our oikos. And a lot of times, maybe it feels to you like you come to church on the weekend and we just keep filling up your plate. You know, and every week you're like walking away going, I don't know, how I'm gonna eat all this stuff. And so today I want to take some stuff off your plate. Maybe that's a little bit different. And to kind of paint a picture for you of where I want to go. Uh, let me tell you a story about, I guess it was probably about five years ago. Um, I was looking in our backyard and I thought, it'd be really neat to have some fruit trees, you know, we live in the Northwest. And so I went down and I bought a couple of uh, apple trees and I bought a pear tree. And I, uh, with pear trees, you kind of need um, at least two uh, for um, in order for you to get some fruit. But they have uh, trees. I got one called a four-way pear. And a four-way pear is an interesting tree. They just take a, a trunk and they graft four different kinds of pears into it. So we have four different kinds of Asian pears. And um, so it's, it's basically self-pollinating. And so I have those in an apple tree. And so the first year, you know, you plant it and just trying to keep it alive and hoping it doesn't die. And the second year, um, fertilizing it, keeping it sprayed. And the third year, uh, it, started, it got some, some blossoms and it uh, started producing some fruit. So I was pretty excited. And that, that third year, we got four, f- count of four pears. And they were like, nice Asian pears. They were really good. And I kept thinking, all right, man, we're on a roll. And then last year went out this time of year and it had lots of you know blooms on it and the bees were all around. And eventually I went out one day and we had some, some fruit forming. And so I started counting because I was excited. And I stopped counting at 200, all right? So it was this one little tree that's only a few years old. It was like about as tall as me and not much bigger than me. And, um, and it's got over 200 pears. And all, all I could think of was that's awesome because if four pears is good, 200 pears is even better. And so, you know, I would water it and I would spray it for bugs and I would fertilize it. And as the, the season went on, the pears started getting a little bit bigger. And one day I was out on our back deck and I'm looking at the pear tree and I'm thinking, am I leaning or is the pear tree leaning, you know? And, and so I went out and looked and sure enough, the whole tree was starting to, to fall over. And I, I, you know, I knew it was because it was too heavy. There was like too, too much fruit to hold it. So, uh, but of course, I'm an extremely greedy person and more is always better. And so I thought, well, I'll just stake that tree up. And so I put one stake and that wasn't enough in two And two. I ended up having four ropes and stakes to hold this tree up. And then I thought, that'll be good and I'll get all my pears and, and it'll be awesome. And then uh, about a week later, it was a windy day and I went outside and I was so sad because an entire branch had just snapped right off. And I was, in fact, it was so heavy with pears, I could hardly pick that thing up. But, you know, I just kept thinking, Oh, it's so sad. I lost all those pears, but I probably got at least 150 left. And, you know, by golly, we're going to get all those pears. And so I got some two by fours and I got some wood. And I like was, you know, pretty soon my tree looked like, like somebody who's in traction in the hospital. You know, it's just like, there's just stuff everywhere holding all these, these heavy, ridiculously heavy branches with all of this fruit. And then at one point, an entire section of the tree in protest, I think just died. It just went dark one day, you know, and so I was getting really sad and kind of like cutting that out. And by the end of the, by the end of the season, it was like the tree was half dead and half there and one branch was broken off, but I'd saved a a lot. And what I ended up with is about 150 pears by the end of the season that were like that big, you know, (laughs) because that poor tree could not support all of that fruit. Now, I tell you that because we live in a culture that's always telling us more is better, more is better, more is better. And what I want to tell you today is sometimes more is not better. In fact, sometimes more is a definite step in the wrong direction. Sometimes more will kill your pear tree, and it won't do a lot of good for you either. So we live in this culture that's always like, if $1 is good, $10 is better. If 1,000 square feet in your home is good, 2000 is better. If, if a five-figure income is good, 6 is better. If a 42-inch TV is good, 55 is better. I actually still believe that lie. Um, if one vacation in a year is good, two is better. If a hundred Facebook friends is good, a thousand is better. And, and again, this, this whole thing, I think, kind of, part of it's kind of in our DNA, if you will, because you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And there you have God, and He creates the universe, and He creates this beautiful world um, full of all of this great stuff for us to enjoy. He, he creates Adam, He creates Eve, He has them in the garden, He says, Man, all this stuff is yours. Enjoy it, be fruitful, multiply, you need all this stuff, right? But there's one tree, right? There's one tree in the garden, and I don't want you to eat from that tree. It's just one. There's more trees, there's more fruit, there's more fun than you could you could have in a lifetime in this garden. So enjoy that. Just don't eat from this one tree. And of course, what happens, right? Satan comes along and what does he tell him? More is better. If almost everything is good, and everything is better. God's holding out on you because the, the one thing that would really truly fulfill your life is that one thing you can't have because more is better. And we know it didn't make things better for them back then and it still doesn't for us today. Our, our verse that we're kind of hanging the sermon on this weekend is this. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. And these are really some amazing words. If you'll just let them sink into your heart and soul, they have the potential to save you from so much trouble and stress in life. Solomon says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. This is an amazing verse. Would you read this with me? Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Here's what he's saying. Uh, Better is a one handful schedule with margin than two handfuls of so much stuff to do that you cannot possibly get it all done today so you'll be stressed and anxious and worried and late for everything, right? Uh, Better is a one-handful mortgage with money left at the end of the month than a two-handful mortgage that's causing stress and worry and creditors out the door. Better is a one-handful paycheck than a two-handful paycheck that requires so much of your life that it's robbing you of your relationships. Better is a, is a one-handful one handful of possessions than two handfuls full of stuff that you don't own, but stuff that owns you, and just causes toil and stress and striving. Better is a, a one-handful semester course of, of, of classes than two hands full that are full of stress and anxiety and you can't get it all done and you can't get decent grades and you just wish that it was over. Better is, better is one handful of you. Now, now I say that because I say it and we know intuitively that it's true but we just find it so hard, don't we? To live a one handful of life. Now Jesus had some words of encouragement for this. He said this in Luke twelve fifteen. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because a, a man's life, a woman's life, does not consist in the abundance of uh, of his possessions. So Jesus is just saying you need to you need to watch out. You need to you need to be on your guard here. It made me think of a couple of weeks ago um, when there was the the Boston Marathon bombing, right? And they eventually the FBI put out that uh, the picture of the, those two brothers. You, I remember when I saw that. I remember thinking those two guys are going to get caught. There's no way. You, we've got their picture plastered everywhere. Now everyone is looking for them, and we'll eventually get them caught. And that's, of course, exactly what we wanted to happen, and, and it's what happened. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is that this, this what I want to talk about. is so important, and it's so huge that you kind of need to embed this picture in the, in the front of your mind. You need to make a poster that says, beware and be careful of, of all kinds of greed. So there's a, a lot of different kinds of greed. And, and many of us were greedy in different kinds of ways, but it's this more and more more and more kind of attitude. And he says we need to be careful. And here's why: because the, the, your life, the measure of your life, the value of your life, the, the validity of your life, the significance of your life, is not measured by how much stuff you have. And in fact, Jesus followed up the, the, this this verse with a, with a parable. He told a story about a very very successful man. He was so successful in business that um, he, you know, everything he had was just filled with, his house was filled with possessions, his attic was full of stuff, his basement. He built all these storage sheds in the backyard and they were all full of stuff. His vault was full of money. Everything was just full. And then he has another really, really great year. And he's thinking, what am I going to do with all of my money? I already have more stuff than I can use in a lifetime. And what he does is he says, I know what I'll do because it's all about me, 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 and more, more, more. So he tears down all the storage sheds and he builds bigger ones and then he puts all of his stuff in there he never goes to god and says god what should i do with this stuff or who should i share this stuff with it's just all about him all about more and jesus says the the irony is that that very night that man would die and all of his stuff would no longer be his it would go to other people and then he follows it up this way and he says and this is how it will be with with anyone who stores up stuff for themselves but it's not rich towards God. This is, this is the person he's talking about, the person who focuses on more, 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 more stuff for me, more stuff for me. It's all about me, but they don't have what matters most. They don't have a personal, intimate, surrendered relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're going to talk about this morning is this big idea that we, we, we need to be people who get more of what matters most and less of what doesn't. And, and that brings up a good question what's most important? Like, I've got a little space in your notes this morning to fill that in. Like, what's most important to you? And I'd ask you, to just think about that for a minute and write a few things down. I mean, what are the most important things that, what would you say in your life are the most important things right right now? And while you're writing that down, I'll just share with you. So over the last couple of weeks, knowing the sermon was coming, I, I asked a lot of people I met, like, you know, What's the most important thing to you? And I asked some people on Facebook and Twitter, what's most important to you? And now, you know, I know I'm a pastor and people are always going to give me the, you know, kind of the spiritual answer. But mostly the answers I got were stuff like this. People said God and, and other people. So I had a lot of people say God's most important to me, loving God, knowing God, serving God, um, you know, accepting the grace of God is important. I had some people say, uh, you know, other people are most, most important, my family is most important, uh, my marriage, my children. Um, some people say my church is, is way up there for me. It's important to me. It's important to the kingdom of God. Helping people know Jesus. Uh, my oikos, we talk about that. Uh, showing God's love to people around me. So all that kind of stuff you would expect, and it might be some of the stuff that you'd write down, right? God and people. Um, but nobody, here's some things nobody said to me. Nobody, all right? Nobody said to me, uh, one of the top things is um, the size of my paycheck, Nobody said that to me. Nobody said, um, you know, the car I drive is is one of the most important things to me. Nobody said my house. Nobody said the granite countertops. Uh, Nobody said their iPhone. Nobody said the amount of Twitter followers they had or the amount of Facebook friends they had. And that's all great, but here's the problem, I think, and that is that there's often a bit of a gap between those, those two. Like most of us would say, Oh yeah, God and people are the most important things. But when it comes to the things we're actually holding on to, it's a lot of this stuff over here. It's the stuff that we say isn't important. And oftentimes I find our hands are so full, we're holding on so tight to all this stuff that we say isn't that important. I'm not saying it's bad stuff. It's just not the most important stuff that we don't have time to pick up the truly important stuff in life. And so... In our remaining time, I want to talk about this idea of one handful living, because, because often what, what Solomon says is one handful is better than two. So how do we do that? And the first thing I'd mention is this. It, I know it's just obvious, but it means we need to let go of some things, right? We've got to let go of some of the lesser things. In other words, in order to hold on to the most important things, we, we're going to have to let go of some stuff, because for most of us, we walked in here this morning with two hands full. And so if we're, we're going through our day and, and we feel like there's something more important that we need to pick up, how are we going to do that if our hands are already full of all sorts of stuff? Now, in Hebrews 12, the writer tells us this. And he gives us a great picture. He says, speaking of you and me, he says, therefore, since, we have, uh, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, the picture he's painting here is he says, each one of us, uh, our lives are kind of like a race that God has marked out for us. And in this race, he says, there are people who are in the bleachers watching you right now. They're watching this race that you're running. Uh, He doesn't really say who they are, but we're guessing by the context, it probably includes angels. Angels who are watching your life, and it probably, it, it may very well include loved ones who have gone on before you, and so, you know, they're up in the bleachers in heaven, and they're eating a hot dog, and drinking a Coke, and they're watching, you know, the play-by-play today in your life. I don't know if that encourages you or intimidates you, but they're, they're watching you, and so he says this, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run the, this race of life with perseverance, this race that is marked out before us. And so what he says is, God is the one who's marked out the path of your life, the path of your race, and, and every one of us are running a unique race. And it, 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 God has placed all of us, he, we were born in a certain place, geographically, into a certain family, at a certain time in history, and that's kind of the starting line for you. And then God has given you a unique path that includes unique opportunities and giftings and education and talents and, and, and all that stuff that's, that's uniquely yours. It's a race that you will run. And what he says is this, that, that your life has significance, that uh, while you're on this earth, you have a, a mission. And what he says is you're running this race and so you need to throw off some stuff. Now that, that word throw off in the Greek, it means it can mean to lay aside, it can mean to cast down or just to, to throw something down. But what he's saying is this, when you're running a race... You don't want any extra baggage. So uh, for me, I run. Well, I kind of run. I call it running. But, you know, it's more like plodding. And so every couple of days, I'll go out for a run along the dike. And here's what I don't do when I'm going for a run. I don't uh, go in the backyard and, like, look around. And maybe I grab the potted hydrangea and think, you know, I'm just going to carry this today on my run. Because I love to have extra rate, right? When I go running, I don't, like, I, I have the key to my car. And that's, I don't even have my license. I don't have a credit card. I don't have money. I don't have anything. On me because I can barely carry my own body, right? So I don't want any extra baggage, any extra weight. And that's kind of what he's saying. We're going to get rid of all that stuff that's going to slow us down and everything that hinders and, and sin. So, two categories there's sin, we know about. We know sin entangles us, sin weighs us down. Uh, we, we need to throw that off, but that's not what I want to talk about today. It's the other category it's the stuff that hinders us. And that word hinder in the Greek means uh, bulk or weight. Or, or a burden. And so it's not necessarily bad stuff, but what he's saying is this. If you're not careful, all right, if, if you're not careful and you're normal, like everyone else in the world is normal, then, then society's going to tempt you to grab as much stuff as you can possibly carry through this life. And, and the, the world's going to tempt you, get the, get the biggest, get a two handful paycheck, Even if it costs you all the spare time in your life, make sure you get two hands full of a house and of a car and of a mortgage and a wardrobe and vacation and and Facebook friends. And it's not, notice, it's not that these things are are necessarily bad. The problem is that they can keep you from the more important stuff in life. Stuff like holding on to God in a meaningful way or being involved in the kingdom or, or having great, deep, meaningful relationships or spreading the gospel. See, normal people in our society today, they grab everything that they can. I think part of what scripture says is that if you're going to be weird in a God way, you're going to have to carry less of what doesn't matter so that you have margin for what does. So on a real practical level then, how do we do that? Uh, Three helpful phrases I found in my own life and I want to share them with you. Um, Again, not rocket science, but the first one is this. It means you might have to cut back on some stuff in your life. If you're going to live a one-handful life, you might have to get rid of some stuff, all right? Again, if you walked in here this morning with two hands full, how are you going to get to one handful? Well, you're going to have to let go of something. Because better often is one handful than two. Research suggests that the average American is holding on to, is, is doing too much and needs to cut back in two particular areas, spending and schedules. So spending is, you know, we kind of know that, we know that about our culture and we know that we're kind of suckers for that sometimes. And I think part of what Solomon's saying is that it's is better as one handful with money left over at the end of the month than two handfuls full of stuff with fights and worry and financial fears and creditors calling and, you know, we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. A person said, I don't know who it was, you've probably heard it before, uh, but they said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Why are we so driven to do this stuff? And the result is never good. I, we might get that little temporary high when we get those new clothes and we get that new car and we get that new house, but you, if you live long enough, you know it never lasts long. It never totally satisfies you. And then you need more. You need another fix. It results in anxiety and stress because in the end, we never have enough to be able to pay for all. Of it. And then there's schedules. And this is, I mean, this is kind of a big one for us as Americans. And I think in our society, most people do their best to find significance through activity. I mean, I think that for most of us, we're so insecure about who we are. We're, we feel so insecure that the way we, we fill the void of insecurity in our life is we, we do more and more and more. Because there's this lie that says, if I'm doing a lot of stuff, then I must be important. If I'm involved in a lot of activities, and if a lot of people are asking me to do stuff, and if my calendar's just full, 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 then I must be an important person, right? And we're, we're trying to convince ourselves and the people around us that we're significant by doing more and more and more stuff. I don't know, when, when I ask normal people how they're doing, and so... Over the last few weeks, I've had a chance to kind of do that because I knew the sermon was coming. So a lot of times I'd ask people like, you know, how are you doing? And here's a lot of answers that I get from people when I ask, how are you doing? "Um, I'm super busy. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done today. hear this all the time. Um, I only got three hours of sleep last night because I've got so much to do. Um, You know, I'm tired. I'm slammed. I'm exhausted. I'm overscheduled. Everybody needs me. There's all these projects. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. And and, and here's the thing I've kind of noticed, and maybe you have too. A lot of times as people are telling me this, there's kind of a glimmer in their eye that says that they're actually kind of proud of it. Because as they say it, what are they saying? They're looking to you for validation to say, wow, you, you must be important. You must be really significant. You're on all those teams. You're doing all that stuff. Your calendar's full. There's not enough hours to do it all. Wow, you must be a very significant person. But let me ask you this. When was the last time that you asked someone how they were doing and they said something like, man, you know, I, I've just got this one handful life going right now and honestly... I got like eight hours of sleep last night. I had breakfast this morning with my family and I feel good. I got nothing to complain about. I don't have any important meetings this afternoon. I'm not on any important teams tomorrow. I like, I've been spending all this crazy time with my kids. In fact, they're getting kind of tired of it. Like I got, uh, my wife and I have lots of time together. So I really can't complain about that. Uh, My boss was trying to make me work extra hours, but I just said no. And he wasn't happy, but, you know, I'm just feeling really good about it. I, I, like, I actually had three hours this morning, felt kind of lazy. I meditated on Scripture and spent some time with God. Um, In fact, actually, if you know of any opportunities, I kind of am looking for some ways to serve uh, God and people in my community. And, I mean, when you think about it, when's the last time you ever answered someone that way? When's the last time you heard someone say that? See, in the midst of a culture that says more, 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 and you know it is not producing good things in our kids. They're so insecure and trying to fill that insecurity with activity. But as adults, we're exactly the same way. We're the ones who taught them how to do that. And in the midst of that, look at what Jesus says. He says, come to me all you who are weary, all you who have two hands full of activity, all of you who are so insecure that you say yes to everything and you've got to make the team and do the same so you can convince yourself and everyone else you're important. Come to me, all you who are just absolutely sick and tired of that kind of a lifestyle. And you're burdened. And Jesus says, and I will give you more stuff to do so you can feel even better about yourself. It's not what he says. He says, and I will give you rest. Uh, I will give you less stuff to do. I will cut stuff out of your calendar. You're going to have to say no to some stuff in the middle of a culture that says more, more, more. You may even have to say no to some good things in in order to be able to say yes to the most important things. And I want to just tell you this, that it's, that when you, when you do that, if you go from here today and you decide, I'm going to, I'm going to start saying no to the lesser things. There are some people who are not going to like it. And there are going to be some people who are offended and they're going to judge you and they're going to press you and try to change you. In my own life, I've learned, I mean, I I learned that I've had to constantly say no to requests, probably like you do. Um, Because if I don't, my calendar will be more full than I could possibly I have to learn to say no to uh, request to speak and for meetings and to write and to attend events and sometimes people don't like that um, I just recently, I had a couple of guys from the community, don't go to church here, but a couple of spiritual leaders in the community call me and say, hey, we should get together in a few weeks and you know, just kind of talk and what do you got going on? So I looked at my calendar and I actually didn't have anything scheduled during that time, but I know how my week goes and it was fairly full. And so I said, well, I'm gonna have to say no. And they, So then they were like, well, is it because you're doing something right then? We could shift it to some other time in the week. And so I kind of had to be like, well, no, I just, I can't do it, right? And I'm not gonna explain or anything. I just, I can't do it. So I kind of forgot all about it. And then this last week, I think um, my daughter called me after school one day and said, can you pick me up from school? And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I can pick you up. So as I was driving to pick her up, I thought... You know, I don't really have anything um, I have to do for the next few hours. And I'm a pastor. I only work on Sunday. So, you know, it's like I got a little extra time to kill. And so when I picked her up, I said, hey, you know, let's, let's go to Starbucks and have some coffee and talk. And so we went down to Starbucks. And as we walked in the door, guess who's sitting there at Starbucks, right? Those four guys who wanted to meet. And I could just see them looking at me as I'm walking in, you know, probably thinking like, oh, man, it must be nice to have a job, right? We can just be lazy and have a coffee with your daughter." And, you know, I was kind of thinking, that's right. It is nice to have a job like that where you can say yes to the more important things sometimes. And I tell you that because you're going to you're going to be tempted to feel guilty. People are going to try to make you feel guilty. Your boss may not like it when you do that. Your friends may not like it. Your relatives, even well-meaning Christians may not like it. But if you're going to say yes to the most important stuff, you're going to have to say no. No. To some other stuff. So you might need to cut back. In fact I'm guessing you probably do need to cut back. And the second thing is. You might need to throw some stuff out. Now. I'm just going to tell you that I struggle with the first category we just talked about, but this one's a little bit easier for me because I, in general, just don't like a lot of stuff in my life anywhere at any given time. Um, in fact, when we moved from our old building gateway to the new building and we moved into our new offices, I was kind of packing up all my stuff to move. And I had a, I, accumulated a lot of books over the years, um, just between college and seminary and just being a pastor. And I had lots and lots and lots. I had bookshelves full of books. And in. We were going to have to build all these bookshelves in my new office. And I remember as I, was, as I was putting them in boxes, thinking to myself, you know, I haven't read most of these books in years, and I'm not going to. Now, of course, I'm always like, but I might, and I might need this book. But I knew realistically, I'm never probably going to read this book again. And so as we moved, I finally decided, and I gave away 90% of my books. I just gave them away. And you know, the interesting thing is, and maybe you've noticed this, a lot of times when I give stuff away, I never even, I never miss it. Never missed it, you know? Um, And and for me, it's not just books. It's like, I I like to go through my closet every couple months and get rid of anything I haven't worn recently. I like to go through my attic. The only thing that's allowed in my attic are Christmas lights. I like to go through my garage periodically. I don't know. I have a family of people who think a garage is for storing stuff. I don't know where they got that idea from. So I like to go through a box and just go through a box and throw everything away. I just don't like stuff all over the place. And I read of a movement recently, and maybe you've heard of this. Uh, It's called the Give Give Away a Thing a Day movement. And so in in this movement, you kind of sign up, and then your goal is you're going to give one thing away every day, right? Seven things a week. 365 things in a year, which I thought was awesome because I did the math. With a family of five, that's 2,555 things that we're going to give away this year. And I just love to walk through my house and just imagine what isn't going to be here in a few months. In fact, my wife just set up a box in the back, a little place where we can all put stuff. In Matthew 6:19, it's kind of what Jesus is talking about. He says this. Do not store up uh, that that store has the idea of do not store up, do not do not shelve, do not shove it in your closet, do not fill up your garage. Uh, with stuff for yourself, for, with treasures on earth. And, and notice what he says, and this is so important. Where moth and rust destroy. Now he's trying to tell us, that. he's not talking about the stuff you wear every day. He's not talking about the car you drive. He's not talking about the rooms in your house that you use. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about all the stuff you store, all the stuff you don't use. Because moths don't eat the stuff you wear a lot they eat the stuff that you put in storage and you never wear the stuff that rusts out is the stuff that sits and never gets taken care of he's talking about this don't live a life where you just have more and more and more and more stuff so pretty soon there's just stuff everywhere and it's all yours and so the suggestion is he says store up for yourself treasures in heaven how do you do it you give your stuff away My suggestion is get rid of the stuff you don't need. Give it to someone who will use it today. For instance, why do we need two or three or four jackets in the closet when we rarely wear one of them? When chances are, in the wintertime at least, you drive by somebody who doesn't have a jacket at all. And how many times have you been like, yeah, but I I might need it for that outfit or for that outfit or why do we hold on to stuff that we don't need today when there are people who need it? Why do we hold on to shoes and clothing and all sorts of stuff that we don't need when there are people who could use it who need it today? I was reading this week, and I thought it was kind of interesting, in the U.S. in the year 1900, the average new home in the U.S. had one closet the average new build home in 1900 was built with one closet. In 1921, the average new build home had two closets that were three feet wide. Think about that for a minute. Two three-foot wide closets, and that was it, in an entire house. Today, though, things have changed, you know. The average new construction home has a master bedroom closet alone that's eight by ten, And the average American today buys 75% more clothes than they did just 10 years ago. Why is it? Why do we need all those clothes? My suggestion is not because we need those clothes, but because we're so insecure about ourselves that if we don't have the latest clothes and the best clothes, we just don't feel good about ourselves. And I think Jesus comes along and says, Man, that's a trap. Get out of that. Get rid of that stuff. And not just the stuff in your closets, but the stuff in your garages and your attics and and the stuff that you're paying to have in storage. And see, I say it because there's a a danger. It's one thing to own stuff, and it's another when stuff owns you. And that's the danger. And for so many of us, our stuff owns us, and we don't even know it because it happens so slowly. It happens so gradually. But here's how you know when your stuff owns you, right? It owns you when you can't let go of it. Then it's starting to own you when, when when you're when you're paying to store it, when you ha- when you have to use it just to justify having it when, it, when you know your attention and your time and your money is all being used to serve that thing. And I think Jesus says, you've got to get rid of that stuff. And here's the third suggestion, and that is, in, in order to, to, to get to a one-handful life, you may have to turn some stuff off. And I, now I know for years and years and years when pastors would talk about turning stuff off, we are always talking about the TV. And, and for some of you, you may need to turn your TV off. It may be that you spend so much time watching TV that it's wasting your life, it's wasting your time, it's wasting opportunities to talk with your family, to be with your friends, uh, to be with God, to serve other people, to make a difference in your world. You're watching so much time spent on TV, so it made you know, you might need to turn it off. I had somebody say last night, I just don't have enough self-discipline, and so they were going to get rid of their TV. And now, again, that's between you and God, but increasingly, it, it's not really the TV that sucks up most of our time, I think. It's, it's all the little devices that, Connect us with the world around us. All right, it's the cell phones, it's the iPod touches, it's the tablets or the phablets or the or the notebook computers or the computers. You know what I'm talking about? It's a world where increasingly we're texting all the time. We're, we're checking Facebook all the time. You got to post what you had for breakfast because heaven knows your world couldn't live without knowing that you had French toast for breakfast, right? You got to post that and take a picture of it. And you got to tweet. And it just makes me think, you know, besides the fact that there are a boatload of studies out there that can talk about the damage that being constantly connected. In fact, studies are suggesting that being Always on is actually rewiring your brain and the way that it works in very scary ways. Especially for those who are young, it could have dire consequences for them as they get older. Um, But even just beyond that, you think about how um, for so many people today, they can be in a room with people, but not in that room not present, not engaged with those people. I, my family went out to a restaurant the other night and we sat, as we were being seated, there was a family of four and all four of them were texting and I'm guessing they weren't texting each other. They're probably texting their friends across town who were having dinner with their family, saying, oh, we're having dinner with our family, but not actually talking with their family, not actually being with their family. And, and, and studies are suggesting that, that always being on, always being connected, always answering the phone when it rings, always checking your email when it's on, is, is creating in us a lack of healthy boundaries. We're getting to this point where we don't even understand proper boundaries with, in relationships. Like, There's an increasing amount of people who never even think like it might be the best thing to do if I'm out on, uh, to dinner with my wife or with my family or with a friend or talking with someone that I ought to turn my phone off or that I ought to not answer it or that I ought to turn my computer off or my tablet off. It's creating this unhealthy um, lack of boundaries that for many of us, there's no quiet time anymore to process life. Can I just tell you this? The, the thi- there, there are things going on in your life that you need to think about, that you need to sit back and talk to God about, and that you need to hear from God. And you're not going to hear from God when you're always connected and things are always on. I just, and I don't know if it's just me, but as I get older, what I find is that it's so easy to go through life, be rushing through life, and God is screaming at you through the activities that he loves you and cares about you and has purposes for you, but you've, you can't hear it if you won't stop, if you won't turn stuff off. And you wonder in the midst of your crazy life, where is God anyways? And the whole time he's trying to get your attention if we won't meditate and be still. Now understand, electronic devices absolutely have their place. I believe they can serve a great purpose. I think Facebook, Facebook can be a great thing and Twitter and all that, but they have to be kept in their place. So I have just a couple of practical suggestions for you. Um, these are some things we do in our house. And I mentioned it because people have asked over the years, like, what do you guys do about this? And so just, we didn't come up with this stuff. But for instance, and, I, and this is kind of obvious, but when we're at dinner, when we're having meals, there are no electronic devices. There are no phones. There are no tablets. There's no notebooks. Sometimes when we're in, our, when we're in the room together in the living room, we'll say we're going to have some family time, and maybe we're going to watch something on TV we're going to talk about or whatever, but there's no notebooks, there's no tablets, there's no texting, the phone rings, I don't care, I don't care if it's the president, you don't have time right now, you're, you're doing something more important. We do some other things in our house. In our house, no one in our house is allowed, and I'm, sa- I'm not saying that rules aren't broken sometimes, but our rule is no one is allowed to be on the internet in our house when they're alone in any way, shape, or form on any device at all. Because, again, everything that's telling me is the internet can be a great place, but it can also be a very, very dangerous place to be when there's not accountability. Just don't be naive about this. So if you want to be on the internet on any device, whatever it is, you need to be in a room where there are other people who can see what's going on. There's accountability, and that actually includes texting in our home. There's no texting alone in a room as well. Um, All the phones in our house uh, are collected in the evening. They're collected in a basket in the kitchen. They're plugged in so our phones can have their alone time, Uh, their recharging time, and we can have that time as well. There's no phones in our rooms at night when we go to bed. There's no texting. There's no connection. The phones are off. Again, I'm not saying the rules haven't been broken at times, but that's not what we do because, again, studies are showing what having your phone on all night is doing to your sleep patterns and how it's impacting so many areas of your life. Um, In our house, in fact, we make it easy because I actually disconnect Physically disconnect the internet at time. I had at, at, in the evening, it's off uh, when we go to bed. And in fact, I had a dad recently ask, uh, you know, I I don't understand how you do that. How do you turn the internet off at night? And I'm like, I showed him. I'm like, you take the cable and you pull it out of the wall. You know, he was like concerned, like the internet police would come to your house or something. Like if you no, you just unplug it and that's fine. Now, and I've had people who come to our house and hear about our rules say your family's really weird and my response is well thank god because normal is a mess today when it comes to being connected. And so here's my suggestion. All right, parents, parents love your kids enough by being weird, all right? And and creating boundaries in their lives. Okay, they may not like it, all right, but just Only parents are clapping, right? Only, you have to love your kids enough to create healthy boundaries for them. They should not be texting. And again, I'll, you can just throw that. They should not be texting when they're alone. They should not be on the internet when they're alone. You should not, ab- adults, be on the internet when you're alone. I would say, wives, you should love your husbands enough to hold them accountable, to have a conversation with them, to check the history. It's not that you, you, know, on their, it's, it's not that you don't trust them, but you understand that we live in a culture that wants to take our husbands down. It wants to. Who's going to look out for them if their wives don't look out for them? And husbands, if you don't look out for your wives. That's what we do when we love each other. We look out for one another. Love your friends and love your family enough that when you're with them, turn off your phone. All right? If you invite a friend over, turn off your phone. Turn off your iPod. Don't be texting with other people. Be with them. Have a relationship with them. Because better is one handful with tranquility than two with toil and distractions. Better to have more of what matters most and less of what doesn't. Be on your guard. Watch out. And, and, and the last thing is this, and I have to be done. We don't really have time, but I want to mention this because I, it occurred to me at the end of the week with this sermon that um, you may be tempted to think, uh, well, I'm going to go home this week and I'm going to get rid of all the small stuff and I'm going to have one handful of the most important stuff and I'm going to come to church next week and have it all together. It's going to be awesome. And here's what I want to tell you about that. God bless you if you can get there. But even if you are able to eliminate all the unimportant stuff in life and just have one handful of the important stuff, what you have to understand is that it's a balancing act that ebbs and flows because life, changes. Life ebbs and flows. I'm not suggesting that you can go home this week and go from now on. It's going to be awesome because on Monday, I'll start with a half hour with God, an hour with my kids, an hour with my wife. I'll go to work for a while, do this and this and this. You understand life ebbs, life flows. Sometimes certain things need more time than others. And the question becomes, how do I know? How do I I know when I'm supposed to be here and when I'm supposed to stop doing it and move on? And in Galatians 5, it has some great advice for us. If we live by the Spirit, and by live by the Spirit, what it means is this. We are brought back to life when the Spirit of God indwells us. We live by the Spirit of God. If we're brought to spiritual life by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that because he doesn't say... Give your life to Jesus and it's all done. No more thinking, right? What he says is walking with God is a step-by-step, conversation-by-conversation, decision-by-decision kind of life. And see, even the most important stuff in your life is gonna need boundaries. And so I've seen this in my, in my own life. For, for instance, one of the things in my my handful each week is I have to prepare a sermon. And preparing a sermon is really, really important. And it's also um, a challenge for me. Like I've shared with, with you before, but like when I was in school and in high school and even in college, the one thing I, I would make me sick to my stomach was whenever I had to give an oral report. And so the irony is God gave me a job where I have to give an oral report every week. I go, I study a book and then I have to give a book report, right? And so for me, it, it, you know, I want to make sure that I get it right. And so the way my life works is this way. I'm going to go home after this is over and I'm going to have dinner with my family and my wife and I will sit down and we'll kind of decompress for about an hour. and We'll talk and then um, I will grab some notes and I will start working on the sermon for next weekend. And I'll spend most of the afternoon and the evening working on that sermon. And then tomorrow... I'll spend the entire day, um, I go to a secluded place and a place where there is no internet connection, there's no TV, there's no radio, there's nothing. Just me and my books and I will study for the entire day um, and I'll work on the sermon. Then on Tuesday morning when I come in, I have to start making choices because I'm going to walk in on Tuesday morning and there's going to be people who need counseling and people who need pastoral care and staff who need some attention and, 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 and uh, meetings that need to be had and if if I'm not careful, and I, I learn because I can do this. I can walk in on Tuesday and go, I can't do any of this because i got to work on the sermon. And Wednesday I can do it, and Thursday I can do it, and Friday I do. do it. I've done it. I've done it where I can just be like, but the sermon, it's really important, and i got to get it done, and I'm the kind of person I can work on it all week. But, of course, there are other things in my hand that need attention. So at some point I have to stop working on the sermon, and I need to spend some time with my family. And at some point I need to stop spending time with my family so I can, you know, provide pastoral care and spend time with God and and exercise my body and get some rest. At some point I have to stop doing one thing so I can start doing another. So during my week, I, I understand at some point I have to put the sermon down so I can be with my family. And then how, but how do I know when that is? I don't do it by calendar. I pray and keep in touch with God. God wins. The r- Sometimes the right time for me to set down the sermon is Monday afternoon. Sometimes it's Wednesday afternoon. How do I know? I try to st- just keep in step with God. But at some point I have to put it down so I can spend time with my family. At some point I have to step away from my family so I can be alone with God. Again, how do I know when that is? I rely on God to tell me that. At some point I have to step away from being alone with God so I can be with people. And minister to them and bless them and do life with them. But at times I have to step away from that so I can, you know, exercise my body. And then at times I have to step away from that so I can rest. And at times I have to step away from that so I can work on a sermon. How do I know when I do all that stuff? Well, I think Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. How do we know? We listen to God. We talk with God. I have lived a two-hands-full life far far too often in my life. And what I've learned is that I won't change without a fight. That we don't let go of stuff without a fight. That we don't hold on to the important stuff in life without a fight. And that's why I tell you, it's not enough to know this. It's not enough to be like, yeah, you know, Solomon had it right. You're going to have to go out this week and you're going to have to fight for this because it's not enough to know it. You've got to do it. But better is a one handful life and a healthy relationship with your kids. Better is a one-handful life and in intimacy with God. Better is a, is a one-handful mortgage with money left and without the stress. Better is a, is a one-handful life in margin. Better is a one-handful life and a healthy marriage and a healthy body and deep friendships than two hands full with stress and fear and grief and chasing after the wind. It's better to have more of what matters most and less of what doesn't. Let's pray.